and welcome to this edition of the He Doesn't Waste a Thing podcast. I am super glad that you decided to join me today because if you've listened to my podcast at all, you know that I bring some of the most incredible people on the planet onto my show. And today is no different. Um, To be really honest, I'm a little surprised that my guest said yes because he's super busy and uh, super important and goes all over the world. And so um, he's also my friend and also somebody that's been really important to me in my life. Um, And so it's my pleasure to introduce to you my pastor, uh, John Chastine. John is the lead pastor at Victory Church in Oklahoma City in Edmond and Sarah Lesotho. And uh, he is also the president of King's University in Texas. And so uh, welcome to the show, Pastor John. Yes, thank you for having me. I love uh, I love your podcast. I've listened to it. I, I, I love the message of it, that he doesn't waste a thing. And I think that's a, a beautiful name for a podcast. So I'm honored, I'm honored to be here. Well, you know, in my life, I'm a storyteller. And yeah. I've decided over the years that regardless of all of the stuff that we've walked through, God will redeem it all. Absolutely. And he won't waste any of it unless you just let him. Absolutely. And, and your life is a picture of that, with even with your your marriage ministry with and and um, so I, I love it i love what you guys do i love your ministry and, and so love you guys happy to be on awesome thanks so much uh so as you know we just asked some questions and this is conversational uh so i'm going to start with the first question that i ask most everybody who comes on my show and is how did you become a christ follower um so i was a i grew up a preacher's kid so you know it's like um elizabeth and john the baptist i think i was saved in the womb you know like <laughs> So I, I, I do remember when I was seven, my dad came into my bedroom tucking me in at night, and I, I remember praying through that, and just the childlike faith, you know. And then I would say that I, I didn't really experience God for myself until um, probably when I was about 16, I, I kind of went berserk. I was a typical preacher's kid and, and was doing things I shouldn't be doing and not not representing my father very well. <laughs> <laughs> But and I went to college, did the same thing for a couple of years in college, just wasn't really living for God. Um, all the while knowing, I would, I would even pray, you know, like I'm doing in the middle of doing things I shouldn't be doing. And, uh, but even through that, feeling this sense of God being with me. And I had an experience in college, really. He was in chapel and uh, just had an encounter. And I think that's what it took for me was having my own experience, not one that my dad told me about or... And I think that's key for for all of us. We have to have that moment where there's the moment we hear about God or we have an experience through another human being, perhaps. But there's always got to be this conclusive experience or visitation or whatever term you want to tie to it where you experience God for yourself. And for me, it was really college. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really true. I think, you know, I mean, we can live on the skirt tails of our parents for a while, yes. but it, it doesn't there's something about that personal encounter where yep. like you at that point, you know that, you know, that, you know, and there's no denying from that point on that God is real yeah. and it changes everything. So, yeah. um, since you brought up college, yeah. you're kind of a basketball star uh, at one time. <laughs> it feels like another lifetime right now. <laughs> so what was it like to be a basketball star and have your picture on the wall of a university and all of that uh, kind of thing? It was a, I mean, I loved basketball. Basketball was life for me, which you still see that, that slogan places, you know, you'll see it on kids' t-shirts and basketball is life. And I look at it and I smile because that was me. And mm-hmm. now basketball is so far in my rearview mirror that while I still love the sport, it, it, I shouldn't say it means nothing to me, but really it means nothing to me. Like right. it was, I can see now that God used basketball to get me where he needed me to go. So I would have never gone to college 
if it wasn't for basketball. I went to college for one reason and one reason only, to play basketball. And so I can see how God or used that tool. It's that whole, it doesn't waste a thing. Right. He, he used something. He gave me height. He gave me the things that were good for basketball. I tell people all the time, I mean, being 6'7 isn't really that valuable anymore. I just hit my head on stuff and help little old ladies get groceries off the top shelf. That's all it's good for. <laughs> <clears throat> but so God used basketball to, to get me where he needed me to be and to, to go on down the, turn, the, the, the path to be in higher education and, and all the things that God ended up doing in my life. I can look all the way back into my youth and this deep love obsession that I had with basketball. And I loved it. Those are some of my best memories of my life. And the guys I played basketball with, um, they're, they're, I may not see them for five years, but when you see them, you're bonded, you're best friends. And so I loved basketball. I loved playing. It was, um, I miss it. There's parts of it I do miss, um, but my knees are shot now, so I don't play basketball. I get out in the driveway and play with my kids, but that's about it. <laughs> so are your kids going to be basketball stars? So I've tried to really not push my kids to play basketball because um, I don't want to be one of those parents who live vicariously through your kids. But uh, they both love basketball, and I will say that warms my heart just a mm-hmm. little bit. But um, my daughter is 12, and she got my wife's height. So she's my wife's 5'2". <laughs> so, so you're 5'2 and 6'7". Yeah, so my, my daughter... Has, is really talented, super athletic, quick. I mean, picks up naturally, and she's got my um, aggressiveness and hunger for the court, but she doesn't have my height. And my son, he's nine, I think he's going to be tall. He's lanky, lanky and skinny, mm-hmm. but he got my wife's demeanor. So he's introverted, shy, and I'm like, Lord, why have you done this to me? Like, I needed it to be... The opposite. But they both love basketball, and they're both really good at it. So we'll see. We'll see what God does. And you're not that parent, the one who coaches from the stands? <laughs> my, I, I do yell a lot. Um, <laughs> and my daughter is quick to tell me, Dad, shh, stop. But she loves it inside, I think. Um, <laughs> I coached them for years. I would kind of be the coach. And this year, my daughter's in seventh grade, so it's like her first year playing organized sports. So it's it really is the joy. I just love going to the sporting events I do not want to miss them I eat it up I'm that parent I'm that guy (laughs) so that's an interesting point that you bring up because your life is super busy Mm -hmm. you're the lead pastor of a mega church you are the president of a university Mm -hmm. which are in two different states by the way Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're you're raising children and they have lives and you know one of the things that I believe is God has never called us to uh, sacrifice our family on the altar of the church absolutely and so how do you navigate like do you have a jet uh, I wish. Helicopter. If somebody out there, if one of your listeners wants to give me a jet, I would happily accept. <laughs> um, but no, I do not. I am on an airplane a lot. Um, I think it's it's just you know it's it's prioritizing and turning down things and making sure your kids are. I mean, I don't know how much time you got. I could go into detail about a lot of the stuff I do, but I. A lot of it again is is he never God never wastes a thing. So right. When I was working on my dissertation for my doctorate degree, I was pastoring at the time, and, and I didn't have time to work on a dissertation. And I didn't want to cheat my kids. I didn't want to come home from work and say, sorry, kids, I'm going to be in the office writing. So I started the discipline of getting up at like 3.30 in the morning, and I would write from 3.30 to 7. And that just became a, a discipline. Now, I didn't do it every day. It's not sustainable every day, but I would do it about three days a week and and chopped, chopped out a dissertation. And then whenever I took on this... Um, higher ed element and it's a lot of back and forth it's 
homes in two locations. It's a lot of craziness. People say, how do you write a sermon every week when you're going to the office every day at the university? God doesn't waste a thing. Right. I, I have that discipline of getting up at 3.30, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I, and I do all my sermon prep before anybody in my house is awake. And so I don't have to cheat my kids. I don't have to cheat anybody at work. I don't have to cheat TKU. I don't have to cheat my marriage. I'm just cheating sleep. <laughs> which, um, which you're young yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's not sustainable long term. It's and you not. have to discipline yourself. I, I'm, those, you know, the nights before I get up that, that, uh, that early, I'm going to bed at nine. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, so it's, a, it's discipline. And what God has shown me through all of this is there was so much more capacity in me to lead than I thought. And so the first of the year, in December, I get my, my assistant from the university and my assistant from the church and my wife, and we have an all-day planning session for the next upcoming year, and I map out all of my speaking engagements and all the kids' sporting events and all the travel and all the vacations, and, and it's, it's crazy, but it works, and, and I haven't had to cheat my family. Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably home more in the evenings now than I was when I was just pastoring. And so, um, and really, there's a grace on it. Right. That's, that's the key. Right. You can't outperform God. You can't outperform anything. So what I tell people, people I say, well, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to do both? And I'm like, well, it's really not my decision. I serve at the pleasure of the board. The church doesn't belong to me. And the university doesn't belong to me. And as long as it's working for my family and for TKU and for Victory Church and for my marriage, then, then let's keep going. And God's grace is sufficient. Right. And as long as God's grace is on it, it'll work. And the moment God begins to lift his hand, then we have to adjust. We've got to figure something out. And it's just, it's not possessive. Like, I don't, I don't own the church. I don't, I don't, I think that's the key is you hold everything with an open hand. And God gives you the grace, you know, to, to manage those things um, in leadership. One of the things that um, I appreciate the m- most about you is that I know at any, and I've told you this a lot of times, like I am happy to follow you because I believe you follow Christ. Mm-hmm. But I also know this, at the day God says it's over, it's mm-hmm. over for you. And Absolutely. if he said tomorrow you're no longer a pastor and tomorrow yeah. you're no longer a, a, a president yeah. of a university and tomorrow you're a trash truck driver, right. you'd be on the back of a trash truck. Singing away. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be so, I mean, that'd be, you know, they're, they're not trashmen though. They're, they're um, sanitation engineers. Sanitation engineers, yeah. right. Yeah. But no, I, I, I really do. I, I think it's because I've so many times in my life God has just flipped my life 180 mm-hmm. to where I've stopped trying to figure out what's next because God will just surprise you. Like I was in higher ed, thought I was going to be on higher ed. God shifts me to pastoring. Okay, I get into this pastoring thing. This is awesome. Let's just be pastors. God flips my life upside down again. And so you just kind of get this moldability to you. You're like, all right, God, I give up. Just whatever. <laughs> just take me along with you. You know. I, I can remember you saying because uh, I was actually on staff at Victory yeah, Church you were. before you were. You were. Yeah, <laughs> I was a greeter. I just attended. <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to pastor. Yeah. And if you make me pastor, I'm not going to preach. Yeah. And now you preach all the time, and it's yeah. amazing. So, yeah. um, and preaching has led you to become an author. Yeah. And I was actually an author before you yes, were an you author. Were an author so I'm like, I'm blazing, I'm blazing the trail I'll for that. Just follow you, Melissa, wherever you go. I'll do. Yeah. That's funny. I'll do what you do. Um, but you you have a new book coming out. Yeah. I you want to talk? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I've had this book on my heart for a really long time. I preached a sermon several weeks, ago, several years ago, called "The Stench Behind the Stone," and it became this kind of life sermon of, it's about inner healing and, 
and people that go through rejection and pain and hurt. And every time I preach it, no matter where I'm at, on other continents and other states, it, people just respond in such a way that you know it's just one of those messages that God's hand is on. So I've wanted to write the sermon for a long time, and I'd met with a publisher, and they're like, hey, write it, and we need you to have it published by, or have the manuscript to us by the second week of January and, of 2020. And I was like, there's just no way. When, when the heck am I going to write a book? So over Christmas break, I, uh, I was like, okay, I'll start it. I don't, I don't know that I'll finish it, but I'll just start this thing. It may take me six months. And I sat down the day after Christmas, and again, going back to this discipline that I, I just, every day from 3.30 a.m. to 2 p.m., um, for eight days, I just sat down and wrote. And two days in, I called the publisher back and I said, "Hey, don't give up on me. I might be able to do this." And eight days, God just downloaded. I mean, it was a true. I mean, you've written books; you've probably mm-hmm. experienced that before, where the Holy Spirit just starts really moving through you. So I did. I finished this book. It's called um, It's called Half the Battle. And really, the heart behind it is we get so obsessed with facing the battles on the outside, whether it's a marriage battle, whether it's a financial battle all the battles that we would label as difficulties we, we come against in the natural. Um, the book kind of presents us this idea that that's only half the battle. That the real battle, the greater battle, the more difficult battle is the battle on the inside. Absolutely. Of you needing to overcome some things. My, my undergrad was in psychology, and so I love that, that realm. I love, I'm no expert in it. but um, So it's just this idea that, that many times before you ever face a battle on the outside, you fight a bigger one on the inside, and the in the Battle of Jericho, you know, that was the outside battle. They marched around the, the walls, and God made the walls crum, crumble down. But before that, in Joshua chapter 5, it says they crossed the banks of the river, and they're, they're sitting there. Um, they, they're in the promised land. They're out of slavery. They're out of the wilderness. And God says, today I, have repro- re- today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so that became something that I realized that before they ever faced the Battle of Jericho, they faced a much larger battle on the banks of the river overcoming their slavery right that they had been out of slavery for 40 years and none of them were even in slavery they were the next generation but there was a piece of slavery that still was in them and god took them through this circumcision process i want you to circumcise yourselves i want you to and for us it's circumcision of the heart and so it's just this battle that we have to fight on the inside and i think god many times god graciously keeps us from going to the battles we need to overcome because we haven't first fought the battle on the inside. It's half the battle. That's really good. I'm super excited for it to come out. I know it's going to, but it's going to just really do impact a lot of people's lives. Um, I've actually heard the sermon yeah. that it comes from and it's yeah. so, so good. It's such a good sermon. Um, so you are a forward thinker, um, a visionary. What's, what's the capital C church? Where are they moving to? Oh my gosh. Um, this is actually something I'm really, really passionate about. And I think that I hope I, I shouldn't say I think. I really hope that God has strategically put me in higher education for such a time as this because it's something that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, something very interesting has happened over the past couple of decades where the local church has kind of turned its back on higher education. Um, you don't have to have a degree to be a pastor in most circles anymore. And in many ways, higher education has turned its back on the local church. For and sure. We just kind of dug our heels in the sand and said, this is who we are, this is where we're at. And I, I think there's something really changing that concerns me, even in, in the heart of a pastor, of, of current-day pastors. I've been reading a lot of Eugene Peterson's books, and I just love his heart. He's not a perfect man. Nobody is. But I love his heart and his approach to pastoring, that he, here's a guy who pastored a, what we would perceive as a small church, a church of two or 300 people for decades, 
Never, never had his name in lights. Never, never was on the conference circuit. Never did did most of his ministry did nothing that we would deem as quote unquote the successful pastor. And yet he might be the most successful pastor ever. And and one thing that we try to talk about to, in our staff a lot is you are never more of a pastor than when you're sitting on the edge of a bed with a family watching someone die. And it, it's almost like the the definition of pastor. And no one would really write this definition down. It's like this unwritten pastor <clears throat> that you have to have a certain number of followers on social media. Your stage has to be a certain size. You, you know, metaphorically speaking, your your church has to be a certain size. And until you reach X, whatever X is, then you're not really being the pastor that you're called to be. And it's just really something that, that concerns me a mm-hmm. little bit. And, and the church is going to overcome. The, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm not giving this doom and gloom story. Um, the church will self-correct. It, it always does. But that's that's one concern to me. And another thing I, I think I see happening in the next generation, uh, some millennial, but even the Gen Z more so, is this um, turn against the glitz and glamour of the local church. I did a, a I have a podcast, and I I, uh, I did a podcast on why are millennials leaving the church, and I had a millennial and a, and a Gen Z in there too, I think. But they all are leaving. I, I so I I interviewed people who left the church. Right. Well, instead of asking the quote-unquote experts, why don't we just ask some millennials why they left? And all of them left because they're tired of the show. They they see through the fake. They see through the the performance, the the uh, attractive lights and all the things we've done. And I'm, my church does some of those things, so I'm not speaking against them. But I think the next generation is hungry to, to really experience Jesus. They've, they've heard about the experience of Jesus for years, the yeah. Jesus movement, and they've heard their grandparents talk about it. Um, but the church they've grown up in was is much more seeker sensitive and much. I think there's a, may, it may not even be a hunger; it may just be a curiosity. Like, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Mm-hmm. What what are mm-hmm. these? And how come no one talks about this? And there's almost this curiosity to it. And I think that's just my opinion. I think it's it's the beginnings of a of a of a revival. You know, that there's this hunger and this thirst happening. So that's what I pray and that's what I hope. And I think all these things are going to converge at just the right time for God to have another revival and breakout. He's, he's coming back soon. So yeah. He's, yeah. he's coming back for the church. And so I'm, it's an exciting time to be a part of the church. I think, that too, I think that's so true. And I think for me, one of the things that I found, and I and certainly love for you to speak into this, is I found that when, because we talked about this a while ago, when you have that encounter with God, it changes you forever. Yes. It marks you. Yes. Jacob wrestled with the Lord and walked away with the limp and a new name, but he yes. was marked forever yes. after that. And um, and I think one of the best evangelism tools that we actually have in the body of Christ is to make Jesus look like somebody. I mean, like if we share our experiences and our encounters, mm-hmm. that is attractive to Absolutely. other people. Absolutely. I mean, like and if you if you share them from an authentic place, like no, this is what really happened to me, and this yeah. is how my life really changed. I think that's the best witnessing tool that we have yeah. um, anywhere. Absolutely. And so uh, it's experiential. It's hey, I tried this great restaurant. You should try it. Yeah, okay, I'll try it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's we we live in a culture of reviews. I don't buy anything unless I read the reviews on it. <laughs> so I'm taking. I don't want to take the company's word for it. I want to take the user's word for it. And so it's the power of a testimony. It, you know, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And, and it's so, been that way forever. But forever. we, but we 
we sort of weave in and out of that process yeah. throughout the, I mean, I'm old enough to have seen, you know, a lot of the church changes over time. And when yeah. we moved from really, for a long time, it was pretty denominational. And then the charismatic renewal yes. of the seventies and the full gospel businessmen and all those, all those crazy, my son would tell you he grew up in the charismania church. You know, we, we didn't leave till everybody fell out. <laughs> I can tell you how many pieces of gum were under each pew. Yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew. And so, uh, <laughs> but I, I think people just long to have a real personal encounter with the Lord. And the beautiful thing is God longs to have a real personal encounter with right. absolutely everybody on absolutely. the planet. Absolutely. And uh, and once they ha- once that happens, we don't have to work hard then. No. That makes, You'll do that the makes, heavy lifting. Yeah, that makes yeah. pastoring churches and all of that stuff, discipling people. Yeah. I want to talk about that. That's one question that I do want to talk about. Yeah. Because it's you can't disciple somebody in a 30-minute sermon, no matter right. how great your sermons are, which right. are which they're great, by the way. And we'll put a link in the show notes to how they can listen to you preach and some things yeah. like that. But you can't disciple somebody in a 30-minute sermon a week. So, so what is the secret to discipleship? Man, whoever can answer that question could become the consultant that goes to every church and tells. Because I think this is something every church is wrestling with. And I think every church knows, but they could give you the basics of what it is. And everyone would agree that it's relationship. Mm-hmm. Everyone would agree that, that, you know, you've heard all the adages. It doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. And all these sort of, you know, phrases we've come up with as the church. But it really does boil down to that. that the trick is... How does a large church get people in circles? And I think that's the struggle of every church. And for for years, the answer has been small groups. And I think that I think that that's still doable. I still mm-hmm. think that that's a big part of it. And I think that's that's huge. And, and then you, at the same time, you got this convergence of technology and how everything is changing. And even even the definition, even though it maybe shouldn't change, it is changing of what community is. Like my daughter, she's twelve. And I'll, you know, walk up on her, and she's walking around the the, room, the house with a phone in front of her face. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm hanging. She doesn't say I'm FaceTiming with my friends. She says I'm hanging out wow. with my friends. So even the, even the idea of what community is, the next generation is beginning to see it even that differently, mm-hmm. whether they should or not. You know, whether we could argue of whether that's good or whether it's not good. We're, we're facing the exact same struggle in higher education. The, many people dig their heels in the hand in the sand and say, nope, they need to have butts in seats, and the prof- professor needs to be up there. There needs to be dialogue and conversation and, and proximity. Yeah, but the next generation is rejecting that. So how do we still meet the needs of community and education and all those things in a world that is beginning to see community through technology? And so there are people way smarter than I am that could try to answer this. And I think I would just throw myself amongst all the other pastors out there listening or out in the world, your pastor, if you're listening to this, we're trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that anybody knows the answers. There's some that do it well. And then you even have to take into account geographically, where's the church at? You know, Um, is it on the East coast, West coast? There's every call, every community has a culture of its own. And so it's such a complicated thing. And trying to get people to, we can't even get people to go to church once a week anymore. Like they, the average person goes to church, I think the latest one I saw was like 1.7 times a month and on average. So, so trying, gone are the days when I was a kid, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, Saturday morning prayer, Thursday evening, whatever. It's like, how do you get people to get into community when you can't even hardly get them to come to church? You get them to come to church and oh, we also need to be in a small group and you also need to serve. 
And so one of the ways that we try at Victory Church to do this in some ways is say, we just say, are you in community? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you need to do this and this and this and this, because we, you can see community happening with the nine o'clock ushers. Right. right? They, they have community. It's a group of guys or girls who believe in one another. They meet, they pray for one another, they text each other through the week. And so they could, they could be in, they may not be in a small group, they're just serving, but they've found community. And so um, I, don't, I don't know that I have all the answers on this, but I don't know anybody that does. But it's, a, it's this, this trying to get people to build relationships with one another mm-hmm. and, and, and disciple. Right. You know? And I think that, you know, I think discipleship happens through biblical godly relationships. I right. think that's a really powerful. Absolutely. I mean, Mentorships. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, and I just think, I, I hope to see, my personal preference is, A, when you have an encounter with God, it makes you hungry for the things of God. So yeah. that helps push people to discipleship. Yep. Uh, godly relationships push people to discipleship. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the day. Uh, when the church is not a mile wide and an inch deep yes. Yes. <laughs> within the things of the Lord. Yes. But I think also, you know, if you look through the Bible, God used miracles and signs and wonders to draw people in. And so Absolutely. I'm looking for the day when that comes back to the to the organized church and they just yeah. say, hey, They're listen. Drawn. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I also think that it's important. So sometimes we look at discipleship like, well, it's the church's responsibility. Well, it's this organization's responsibility. We also have to understand that as Christ followers, it's our responsibility sure. to be discipled. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm being discipled. I have pastors. I have Craig Rochelle as a pastor. Jimmy Evans is a pastor. Those guys didn't seek me out. I sought them out. I'm like, I need discipleship. I'm, I'm a pastor who needs a pastor. And so that was on me. I didn't, I didn't sit back and wait for somebody to disciple me. Mm-hmm. I pursued. I chased. I'm hungry. I'm not waiting on them to to disciple me. I'm asking them questions. I'm pursuing their wisdom. I'm chasing after them. And so I think that's a word for all of us out there. If you, one, come to the understanding that you need to be discipled. Mm-hmm. Flat out. All of us do, whether you're 8 or 80. And then it's on us to seek that out, to find a church, to find a system, because most churches have a system. Right. Most. It's just that nobody's engaging in the system. Right. And so it might be just as much about inspiring uh, the flock, so to speak, to have a desire to be discipled as much as it is to tell the church they need to do it. Right. And I think that that's, and I think everybody has to own the fact that they are the capital C church. Yes. You are the church. Go exactly. be the church, right? Exactly. So uh, my mentors didn't seek me out to mentor me either. They're like, <laughs> I had to go find them. Chase them. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know what? I, you have to ask. Yes. And, and, and some will say no. And yeah. you got to ask somebody else. Yeah. Don't give up. And, and ask God to show you who those people are because I think that makes a big, make, exactly I mean, right. you know, Holy Spirit knows it all. Yes. All you got to do is ask for the answer. Indirect discipleship, indirect. You, I'm discipled by guys I've never met listening sure. to their podcasts, listening to their sermons. So there's all kinds of ways to get discipled. Yeah, I think so too. So, well, thanks for hanging out with me. Yes. I want to, I, 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 could, I could stay here for two more hours, but you're a busy guy. So right. I won't make you do that. I'm not that busy. <laughs> uh, but um, so I like to end all of my podcasts with what I call rapid fire questions. Okay. And um, they're not deep and theological, they're just fun, yeah. right? So, first thing off your brain, um, whatever. <laughs> so, my first question is this who's teaching, the most, who's teaching you the most about Christ right now? Um, a book or a person? Probably, probably Eugene Peterson. Okay. Books, yeah. Okay. Just readings, yeah. I'm gonna. Ha- I wrote his name down. I'm getting ready to go hunt out some start books. With, start with working the angles. Okay. All right. Awesome. Such a good book. Um, what's what's you're six seven. Yep. 
you're you're a strong guy. You work out. You do all that mm-hmm. stuff. What are you afraid of? Spiders, mice, um, bugs. I I'm I'm not a huge spider fan, but I've had to just become because my wife is deathly afraid of spiders. So I'm always the kill. I'm the kill guy. I'm the kill the spider guy. I like snakes. Snakes don't bother me. Um, what am I afraid of? Um, it probably would be spiders, though. Even though I, I do them for my wife, but I hate spiders. I can't stand them. <laughs> That's super funny. I don't know what purpose they serve on Earth, but I'm sure God knew what He was doing. All right. So a lot of people don't know this about you. Yeah. But you're a prankster. I I can be. I like to prank people. What's the best prank you've ever pulled off? We we are always doing pranks on one another. I think the best prank um, we ever pulled off we did it to Pastor Oscar, Pastor Wade, and and I. We were in. Um, we were in the which airport were we were we in? We were traveling somewhere. I think we were in California at a conference, and we had taken this this van back to the rental place, and uh, and and Wade called the uh, the intercom system at the airport and told them to that they needed to page Oscar Ortiz because he had parked the van in an illegal spot or something. And so waited. It was just—it was hilarious. The response of, of Oscar and his reaction. <laughs> and it was just. But we're constantly pranking each other in the office. I sometimes I'll um, fly somewhere. I'm leaving the church to fly somewhere, and I'll fly there, and I'll get there, and I open my bag, and Oscar's just taking a bunch of stuff out of my office and put it in my computer bag. It's just constant pranks. It's fun. It is <laughs> it pretty fun. It's fun. Uh, what's your go-to song for karaoke? Oof. I don't sing karaoke. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Why would I do that? I have what little dignity I have. I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I've seen you dance on Instagram. I, my daughter will, will convince me. Now, my wife, my daughter and I love to do, whether it's, I don't know if you call it karaoke, but we like to just ride in the car, crank the sound up as loud as it'll go, and just sing at the top of our lungs. That's kind of our thing we love to do. Yeah, I love to do that too because I can't hear myself sing that way. Exactly. That, the louder the music, the better. Definite with the headphones that's, or whatever. That's exactly right. Um, so, in the story of your life, who plays the role of John Chastain in the movie? Ooh, that is a good question. Uh, what's the guy that everybody thinks I look like? Um, oh, he's a professional golfer. Dustin Johnson. Okay. Everybody tells me that, I'm like, I wish I was him. I'd be a bajillionaire. But I'd probably pick him because he looks just like me. He's tall, beard. He does look a lot like me. That's funny. I admit. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, I think there's a double for all. As much as I don't think God ever creates any two things that are yeah. exactly the same—no blade of grass, no snowflake, no whatever—there, he must have, you know, he must just think it's fun to create yeah. people who look like other people and well, be we like need a stuntman, right? You yeah, need a stuntman. you need a double once in a while. You need a body double once in a while. So, um, and I always end with this last question: yep. If you could say one thing and one thing only to make Jesus famous, what would you say? Mm, to make Jesus famous. You're a pastor. This should be easy. <laughs> oh, but it's a deep question. Yeah. To make Jesus famous. Um, so I'm saying, I'm talking to people. What, give me some context here. I'm also a preacher. I need context. <laughs> I'm going you... to make this way deeper than it ought to be because I'm a preacher. I need to know these context. These are not, these Who's are, the these are, these are lightweight the questions. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would just tell people that. What's that, your favorite thing about Jesus? Um, that he loves me, that like I am, like mm-hmm. I shouldn't, he shouldn't, but he does. Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that song that I'm always trying to convince people that the song Reckless No Love is not a bad song. This is a great song. What it's saying is it was a reckless investment 
It was. It was a terrible investment. Like, I wouldn't invest money into something that I think that that would be coined a reckless investment. It's not wise. And his love was reckless. Like, he should not have invested that in me because I'm not worthy of it. So just, just the fact that he loves us as we are. We're broken vessels, and for some reason, he chose to put his light in broken vessels, in, in jars of clay, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So that he would trust us with that is just phenomenal. And then when we, when we mess it up, he doesn't throw us out. He, he brings it all full circle, and he doesn't waste a thing. Right? Ta-da! See and how I wrap that you, with a bow? You, yeah, a that's because you're a preacher. That's what you do. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging out with me today. It's yeah. been my privilege to have you be a part of my podcast. And, uh, and so um, as to the listener out there, I hope that you listen to this more than once because there's a lot of really good nuggets uh, in this episode. And so thank you for that. Thanks for hanging out with me, Pastor John. And, yes. and, um, and so thank you, the listener. And this is that time of the show where I ask for my trifecta of favors, uh, the three things that would help me the most. The first one is, if you haven't already done that, maybe you're a first-time listener because uh, you heard John Chastain was going to be on the podcast, so you're like, oh, cool. Well, would you just hit reach over and hit that little subscribe button on your podcast, and that way all of the latest episodes will be in your feed because I have some of the most amazing people on my podcast. Uh, number two, would you give us a five-star rating on iTunes? Because let's be honest, Melissa Zimmerman is not the easiest name to spell. And hey, the other day I looked and it searched my podcast and it came up with like uh, Stephen Furtick and, um, hey, you know. We're right there. Right, I'm up there. You're right there. <laughs> and finally, and, and most importantly, would you do me this last favor? And would you just share my podcast with your friends and invite them to come and get to know the people who hang out with me? Uh, because I think the whole world needs to know people like John Chesty. So, Uh, Thanks for hanging out today, and uh, until we meet again, remember, he doesn't waste a thing.